0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. So glad that you're here with us. It's such an awesome day to celebrate. And I know for for all of you, uh, it's it's a day in which uh, brings Christ to the forefront of your mind. Uh, We had an amazing uh, first service um, and such a celebratory day of Christ and his resurrection from the dead. And you know, I don't know where you are uh, coming into today. I think we might be across the spectrum, you know, in in regards to where people are at coming in here. Uh, For some of you, the Easter, the resurrection of Christ, the celebration of today leaves you breathless. For some of you, today is such a joyful day. When you contemplate the resurrection of Christ, because you love Christ. (laughs) And for some of you, this is just an amazing day that you look forward to all year round. And really, you celebrate the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection of Christ every day. That's the center of your life. And so there would be nothing more joyful for you today than to come in here and to talk for for a little while about the, the thing that you love most, which is Christ crucified and resurrected from the dead. And I pray that that's you. And for some of you, you come in here and maybe you've, quote unquote, trusted in Jesus. You've been saved. But... That's not your experience today. Maybe your heart is, is, is cold. If it's not dead in your sins still, maybe it's, it's just cold. And your faith, if you were to be honest, is, is apathetic. And he's not the center of your life. And his death and resurrection isn't your greatest joy and hope. And you don't see it as a miracle. And... Uh, And you wish you did, maybe, or maybe the world has become far too important to you and you've lost your taste buds for God altogether. And I pray for you. Because today, as we celebrate the resurrection and as we've celebrated the cross on Friday, that is the very essence and foundation of our faith. That's what you have to believe to be a Christian and that's what you keep on believing as the center of your life, to stay a Christian, to live as a Christian. The cross and the resurrection of Christ. And so I pray for you that God would awaken your heart, give you taste buds to see the, the true miracle of Christ resurrected and what those implications are for your life. You could be saved and go to heaven and be with God because Christ died and was resurrected for you. And if you don't trust in that, then you gotta pay for your own sin. And there's no resurrection from the dead. What an amazing work of God. I pray that you're, you become alive to that reality. There's no greater reality. Don't be sidetracked with Knickknacks of this world. Don't be sidetracked with that. They're passing away. It doesn't make any sense. Two seconds away from glory. I think there's a third category. And it's maybe for some of you who are in here today and you just don't even understand the significance of this. You come in because it's Easter and everyone goes to church on Easter. (laughs) That's what you're supposed to do, right? But let me tell you, your, your greatest... Your greatest issue is not that you don't go to church. Your greatest issue is that you need to believe in the crucifixion and believe in the resurrection and stake your life upon it. That's all you got as your merit before God. That when you get to heaven one day and God says, what have you done that you should enter into my kingdom? You say, I have done nothing, but Christ died for my sins and I've trusted in him and he rose again. And that's my only merit. There's my ticket. That's all I got. That's truly trusting in the merit. That's what needs to happen. You need to believe in this message that we're talking about today. So wherever you're at, let me tell you, Today, as we've talked about the cross, and as we move to the resurrection, all of us, we need to believe this, and we need to base our whole life upon this. Every single person in the room, okay? It's for everybody. So as we get into this, you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, John chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible, it's okay, but next time you come, bring one. Okay, but there's going to be a Bible under the row in front of you somewhere. Okay, you can just bend over and grab it. Okay, and uh, there should be at least unless someone in the first service took it and ran. Which, by the way, if you need a Bible, take it and keep it. Okay, it's more important that you have it. So John chapter 20. Now, if you were with us in the Good Friday service, which I hope you were, because I told you this was going to be two consecutive messages, a two-part series, Good Friday and then Sunday, okay? And Good Friday and Easter. And what I said was that we were going to make our way from John chapter 12 through John chapter 21, 12 to the end of the book. It's going to be a two-part series, the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, okay? And so... In case you weren't here, here's what we've learned so far, because we're just going to pick right back up. We've learned about the cross of Christ. Number one, the preparation of Christ. We saw how he was prepared. He was prepared as a lamb to be slaughtered. He prepared. He was prepared to go to the cross. He lived a perfect life. We, We saw this preparation of Christ. Secondly, we saw the obedience of Christ. As we just continued on through, Jesus, on his own initiative, by his own choice and willingness, his life was not taken from him. He willingly gave it up for you. No one takes his life, he's God. He gave it, and he went to the cross. It says he went out in the beginning of John chapter 18. He went out. Where is he headed? To the cross. Obedience of Christ. We saw. Third. We saw the sacrifice of Christ. He died. As the sacrificial lamb. The the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. The ultimate lamb. The final lamb. To pay once and for all the payment for sin. That death would pass over. Those who have trusted in the blood of Christ. That's what Passover means. To jump over. And so that would happen to you. Anyone who would trust in Christ, he's the perfect spotless lamb. God ordained in the Old Testament that there can be a sin substitute. For one who has committed a sin, there can be a substitute for, for that if the substitute is sinless itself. And that's Christ, the permanent, ultimate substitute for sin. He's the sacrifice so that you don't have to pay the penalty of your sin. He's sacrificed. He was a sacrifice. He died. And then fourthly, what we saw was the sufficiency. Of Christ. In light of everything we learned, guess what? It is sufficient to pay for your sin. Sufficient. That means if you trust in Christ, no more wrath for you. Your sin's paid for. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. If God were to punish you for your sin, He would be unjust, which He's not. If you've trusted in Christ, because your sin has already been paid for in full. When Christ said it's finished, the word there in Greek, the one word, it's accomplished. It was used on, as we said on Friday, pieces of papyra, which were used for receipts. And what it meant was paid in full. Your sin can be paid in full. He's sufficient. All your sin forgiven. Right standing before God. So as we move now into the second part of the series, the resurrection of Christ, we learn that Christ not only died to pay the penalty for sin, but Christ was raised from the dead. Now, this has to be amazing to you, because as a Christian, biblically, this is the hope of our faith. This is the very joy of our faith. This is the very strength of your faith. This is the validity of that your faith is real. If this isn't true, like the, we read just a minute ago, you should be pitied for following a fictitious uh, uh, story your whole life. This is the validity. And, it should cause, and this is what causes awe and amazement and worship and wonder in our faith. That our, our Savior, Christ, God's Son, for those who believe, was raised from the dead. He lived a perfect life. He died for sinners, and he came forth from the grave. Now, you got to understand that this is the very center of our faith. It does, it does validate. It gives us joy and hope and strength, and you're going to understand why. And in case you think that this is like, yeah, 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 sure. Listen, Jesus really died. He had to, as a man. Because God doesn't die, man does. To pay for the penalty of man's sin. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So listen, ready? Heart, no beating. Brain waves, off. Blood to every cavity of the body, no longer going there. Powerless. To raise himself. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. The Holy Spirit rose him from the dead. So literally a dead man, powerless, in the grave, came to life. That's a miracle. And that's the very center of our faith. And if that's not true, then our faith is in vain. So let's look at this story together. We're gonna see two points as we just continue on to the end of the chapter. The literal death of Christ is gonna be our first point. And our second point, the literal resurrection of, of Christ. Okay? Dead man came to life. And this is the very center. It validates our faith and it gives our faith hope and joy and strength. And you're gonna see it. And we're gonna see two points as we finish out from John 20 to the end of the book. There's only two more chapters, 20 and 21. So if you're wondering where we're gonna be the whole time, like we're in one of those two chapters, okay? I'm gonna try to walk you through it as I do. I don't think I did a very good job on Good Friday. I think I maybe, uh, maybe you didn't uh, always know where we were, but I'm gonna point out these verses. The literal death of Christ. You have to believe in order to be a Christian, that Jesus was a man who died. Fully man, fully God, and his humanity literally died. And you have to believe that he resurrected from the dead. Okay? So let's take these one at a time. The first, we start where we left off in chapter, 38, uh, chapter 19, verse 38. And it leads us to our first heading that I want you to see, which is the literal death of Christ the literal death of Christ. This is so important. This is so important. Okay, before we, get to, before we look at 1938, which is where we left off, I want you to just jump ahead. Keep your Bible open the whole time. Follow with me, okay? Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs. Look at these. Look at this. Many other signs. This is what John writes, okay? In the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, many other what? In addition to what? In addition to the resurrection. He just got done talking about the resurrection. Okay? So he did many other signs in addition to the resurrection, which are not written in this book. But these are written. What's written? About the resurrection that he just talked about, particularly, so that you may do what? Read it. Look. Believe in Jesus Christ, in the Christ, the Son of God. And thus, by believing, you may have life in his what? Name. So this is you gotta believe this, John's saying. You gotta believe this. The literal death and the little resurrection of Christ. This is so important. John says the purpose of this book, particularly right here, is to show the resurrection so you believe in eternal life. You know, John did this very often because in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, This is why I wrote this book, 1 John, so that you may see the evidences or know that you have eternal life. So John's really speaking plain here. here. Understand what Christ did, believe in it, have eternal life. First, John, here's what it looks like to be a believer. Read it so you can see if you're a believer. Right. That's how those two books work. So in this portion here, let's start in chapter 38 of verse 19. Okay, there's a man whose name is Joseph and he's from Arimathea. Everybody say Arimathea. Arimathea. All right. It's a Jewish town. Okay. He's a disciple of Jesus. He's actually a member of the Jewish council. That means he's part of the religious leaders. But it says he's a good and righteous man, we learn. And he secretly believes in Jesus because of the fear of the Jews. But he's a devoted follower of, of Christ. At this time, it's a unique time to be a follower of Jesus. And what does he do? He goes to Pilate. And he says to Pilate, can I have the body? And we see in chapter 23 of Luke, verse 51, it says explicitly, Joseph of Arimathea did not consent to the killing of, the, of Jesus. He didn't agree with it. It says he was looking for the kingdom. That's what kind of man he was. So in John 19, 39, we also see that Joseph of Arimathea had a partner. Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they're working together, right? Both men are associated with the Jewish leaders. In fact, Nicodemus, he comes earlier by night after Jesus is crucified. Because remember, we're just picking up from where we left off. Jesus is dead now on the cross. We saw it. Nicodemus comes later to the cross by night. And it says he comes with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. That's a lot of myrrh and aloe, (laughs) right? Why? Why does he come? Because dead bodies smell. And so that's what the Jews do. They would wrap the body in linen with herbs and spices and aloes so that the body wouldn't produce the odor. John chapter 11 shows us. I mean, this is just what happened with Lazarus, right? This is Lazarus. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, the sister of Lazarus, said to Jesus, the Lord, by this time there will be a what? An odor. He's been dead for four days. So John chapter 19, verse 40. They took Jesus down from the cross. They wrapped him in linen spices, as which the Jewish, the linen and spices. I don't know if they had linen spices, um, Jewish burial custom, right? So, in John chapter 19, verses 41 through 42, as we continue following along, we learn that there's a garden nearby, a garden, and in that garden there is a tomb, and in that tomb there was no body ever laid, no body, right? Ever laid. It was cut in stone into a small cave in the rock, and they needed somewhere to close to the cross to lay Jesus. They needed to move with pace. Why? Because by this time, it's Friday night, pushing six. And as we talked about, if you remember, that next day would start at six o'clock. Okay? So he was in the grave. He was, he was cr- arrested, tried. In the morning Friday, Jesus had his, this whole plan. God prepared this beforehand. By the morning of Friday, he was on the cross. By three, he was dead when they would slaughter the Passover lambs. And before six, he had to be in the grave. Right? So that he would be dead. He would touch all three days. Friday, 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday. Saturday, one day, two days, into Sunday, three days. And that's amazing. That's Listen. You want you like miracles of God. You say I want to see a miracle. You want to know what a miracle is? God's providence. That's a miracle. The fact that He orchestrates all of this perfectly. He orchestrates all these people. I mean, you couldn't do that if you had your whole life to plan for it. But providence, and that's what He does every day in your life. He orchestrates your life and the whole world. That's the providence of God. That's a miracle. So he's doing this and they had to lay him in the tomb. Like I said, before Sunset Friday, Sabbath began at Sunset Friday. This was the Sabbath on Saturday at this point, Friday night, six to Saturday night, six. So what happened was the women came with Joseph of Arimathea. The women came with Joseph of Arimathea from Galilee. They saw the body. They went home, they prepared the spices and then they go and anoint him with oil for a proper burial. They prepared him, but they weren't able to finish by six. It says the Sabbath came, sundown Friday to Sunday Saturday, sundown Saturday. And when, what they did was they went home to, to obey the Sabbath. No work on the Sabbath, not even preparing dead people. And what'd they do? They went and bought more spices because they needed to come back on Sunday and finish the job. After Sometime after Saturday at six and finish the job. They were gonna come back and they did come back at dawn on Sunday, which we'll see in a minute. But this is what happens. Mark 16 tells us this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Solomon, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. The Sabbath, they rested according to God's command. They returned Sunday morning at dawn. Right, the dark, uh, the sun hadn't even come up or was just about coming up. The time which most of you in this room have never seen. Right, no one's been you've never been up that early a day in your life. That they were up early with the spices to do more preparation to finish what was cut short by the Sabbath. He was in the grave before six Friday. He was in the grave all day Saturday on the Sabbath, six p.m. to six. PM, and then into Sunday morning, physically, bodily, dead. Heart, brainwaves, blood, powerless as a human. They're wrapping him. They took him down from the cross. They wrapped him. They put him in a grave, and he was there for three days. You got to believe this. You got to believe this. You got to believe that Jesus Christ died physically, shed his blood before God. All the wrath of God was put on Christ. He was a substitutionary atonement. He was the propitiation for your sins. Your sin was imputed to Christ. And he suffered and died the penalty that you deserve, which is God's just wrath on sin. And he died for it. You got to start there. You got to believe that. Secondly, we move, as we move, continue through the story to the literal resurrection of Christ. He raises. Now, this is amazing. John chapter 20, verse one. When Mary comes back, the stone's gone. Stone's gone. Right? John chapter 20, verses 2 through 18, we see this literal death, literal resurrection, real death, real resurrection, brainwaves, blood, heart. He was powerless, now he's raising. And we're going to see this as we start to walk through it, but let me just tell you, in verses 1 through 18 of chapter 20, we see him appearing to Mary Magdalene. In verses 19 through 23, we see him appearing to the disciples. In verses 24 through 29, we see him appearing to To Thomas. He's just appearing to everybody. Game time. It's interesting to note that Jesus didn't appear to unbelievers after his resurrection. And he said that this was going to be so. In John 14, he said this. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. That's clear. Right? A little while, I'm going to die, I'm going to come back. The world, those who don't believe, will see me no more. You, my disciples, will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. When I come back, when I return, you're gonna know that I'm the Christ, right? John 16, he says, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, in a little while, you will see me. What is he talking about? His death, and then what? Is the resurrection. John 16, he says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice when you see me, and no one will take your joy from you. That's the result of the one who believes in the resurrection. Ain't nobody taking my joy. Right? Doesn't come from the world, so the world can't take it from me. What an amazing thing. And so the reason why Jesus only appeared to the disciples is because he knew, he was convinced that if they hadn't believed in him then, they wouldn't believe in him if he rose, right? And it's the same as you. Listen, if, if you have seen evidences of who Christ is and you come in here on Easter Sunday and celebrate this, listen, if you have heard the truth and, and you, I mean, and, and you've heard the, the, the gospel, the, the Bible, like at some point, you got to ask the question, what else is, is it going to take for you to believe? There's nothing left. There's nothing left. Like, what else are you waiting on? Right? It's the same thing if you're a Christian already. I mean, the principle still applies. I mean, if you, if you come in here every week, and if you come in here, you know, like, you're, like, it's coming out how much Bible when you leave here, right? Like, it's, you're choking on it. Right? You're hearing it every week. And if, if your life is still remaining lukewarm in your faith, like the question is, what else is it going to take? You're hearing the word every week. You got people around you trying to help you, help you grow. What, what's it going to take? There's nothing left. There's no more. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 16. He says this. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be, will be, will, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. <laughs> They're not hearing me now. I ain't going to believe later. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, because in, the, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he appears to believers. And what does he do for them? Listen now. He confirms and he establishes and he equips and he restores them. This is so monumental that Jesus has risen from the dead that it changes everything about these disciples. You see a turning point at this point in the gospel of, of, Luke, of John. At this point, it, ch- it changes everything. This is so monumental that it transforms them. It, it makes them go from cowardly, hiding. Remember what happened when, when the, 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 the soldiers came, come and take Jesus. They all scatter, every one of them. And it so transforms them when they see the resurrection that they go from cowardly, hiding, fearful, in fear, to now bold witnesses of the gospel. This is just, this night and day difference in the disciples after this. This is crazy. You remember, they all scattered. How about Peter? What did he do before the resurrection? Yeah, denied Christ, Right? And Pentecost comes, which is later on. It's the Holy Spirit coming. And you know the story, Tongues of Fire, which by the way, that was the inauguration of the Holy Spirit, okay? It's not normative for the tongues of fire to come when the Holy Spirit comes in. We'll just say that. And also, it was literal languages that these men spoke in, okay? So they weren't babbling. They were speaking in literal languages. And why? Because... There were people there of every language. And so they spoke the gospel in each everyone's language. And the gospel then after the resurrection and after the coming of the Holy Spirit was expedited to the nations. So now everyone in their own language hears and they go. And now the gospel is spreading like wildfire. It's crazy, right? This was the point. This is the purpose. And this is this is the new. These are the new disciples after Christ is resurrected. You remember Peter denial? But then in Acts chapter two, Peter preaches one of the most powerful sermons you'll ever read about. Right? So this is what happens. Jesus is showing himself. They're confident because Jesus is showing himself to be the son of God. Look at Romans one. It says this, Jesus declared himself to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by what? The resurrection from the dead. He's Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let's move briefly through this progression, okay? 20, one through 10. What do you see here? You see Sunday comes, Mary Magdalene comes. It's early dawn. Spices, we talked about it. Stone rolled away. The Jews had set a guard, had set stones, had set everything that they can set up so that no one would take the body and say, therefore, Jesus rose from the dead because then they would lose their power. And so they wanted to prevent that. And so the disciples come and Mary comes and sees in the morning to do the rest of her spices. The stone is rolled away and she's afraid. And she runs and tells Peter and John that the body's stolen. They don't know where it is. And Peter and John, it says, come, John tells us, they come running. And John shows his great humility here because he says he outruns Peter. He makes it clear. He lets us know. But here, he doesn't name his name, okay? He doesn't say, John outran Peter. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter. So he's like taking two shots at Peter, right? He's faster and he's more loved. But that's what he was called, the one who who Jesus loved. And Mary's still behind. They don't intersect at the tomb. They run after she told them she's still behind. They looked in and they saw, and it says that they at that point, John believes because he had not yet understood the scriptures. It's not that he didn't understand Jesus's words, although that's true, too. But Jesus's words weren't written in scripture yet. He didn't understand the scripture. Speaking of Psalm 1610, which says this, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy one see corruption, meaning Jesus Christ will not stay in the grave. The Christ, the Messiah, will not stay in the grave. He will not be, he will not, uh, be yielded to corruption, staying in the grave and, and corrupting forever. He's not going to stay there. The Holy One, the Christ, the Messiah, will rise. So the disciples at that point, they go back to the house, and they're marveling. And the disciples, they're home, and... In John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, we see there's angels and Jesus, and they appear to Mary Magdalene first. She's still there. She comes back, right? And at this point, Mary is at the tomb, with, and, and the angels come, and Jesus speaks to her. The disciples are home. They're marveling. They're confused. They've believed, and Jesus will come to them shortly. But I want to make note before we even talk what happens there, that when Peter and John were there, you know what they found inside the tomb? They found linen folded up, face cloth folded, representing a few things. First of all, there's no struggle. So like if you're a grave robber and there's evidences of, there will be probably evidences of some kind of struggle to get this body out of there. Secondly, if you're a grave robber, you're not unwrapping the dead body, like leave it wrapped because of the odors. Like you got it you got it all set up for you. Right. So this doesn't make any sense. Not only that, let's say you for some reason had a reason to take off the linen. Why would you fold it? <laughs> Everything's Folded. And at this point, John believed and uh, he goes home and Jesus now starts appearing. The angel comes and says to Mary, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Don't you remember that the son of man had to die and rise again? Right. The two angels, they come to Mary and then who comes and speaks to Mary? Jesus. This is the first time. Listen, and he says this. Why are you weeping? And she starts telling him all of her sorrows. Uh, we Jesus, who was crucified, we can't find his body. And she thought he was a gardener, it says. She thought that the gardener maybe took him and moved him for a purpose. He says Mary, and she recognizes his voice. And many say, see, he recognized his voice. That's not really why that happened. Luke 24 tells us, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus opens her eyes. And she sees who he is. She recognizes him and she says, teacher, which is a formal sign of respect. Now, I want to point something out. Can I tell you women in the room? If you ever want some confidence that God loves you, has a purpose for you, and your role and your calling, can I tell you? You know who Jesus showed himself to first after his resurrection? Seven women. Mary. Mary. Of Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, James's mother, and four other women. Seven women. That's who he shows himself to first. Tell that to your husband next time. All right? Jesus showed himself first to women, okay? All right. So she runs now and she tells the disciples that she's seen the Lord and the disciples think it's an idle tale. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21 Twenty-five. We're kind of heading toward the end of this. Jesus starts showing himself to everyone. He meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus, which is in Jerusalem, which is seven miles out from Jerusalem. And the disciples, they're walking and they're talking about the empty tomb. They're talking about what the women said. They're thinking that it was a vision that was not real, like they saw something and they're not. They don't understand. They said they, they said that the women said Jesus is alive, but Peter and John, they went there and they didn't see. Jesus or the angels and Jesus says you guys are slow to believe and then he opens their eyes and he says "Then I tell you Christ had to suffer and then you're going to see him glorified and here's what he does he sits down with them at the table and he starts to open up the scriptures to them this is what Jesus did Jesus was first a preacher on earth by the way right that's what he did he opens to them the scriptures And beginning with Moses, it says, and then through the prophets, he began to teach them about how all the scriptures pointed to who? Him. That's biblical exposition, and that's biblical theology at its finest. Everything in the scriptures points to Christ, teaching them about how it's fulfilled in Christ. That's what he's doing. And then, you know what they said? After he opened their eyes, they said, Man, didn't our hearts, when we were on that road and he was teaching that to us, our hearts burned within us. At heartburn, spiritually. Right? That's preaching. That's teaching the word of God. And here's a question a good question for you. When you hear the word of God, does your heart burn? And a deep love for God? Or is it just cold? That's not normal right so this is what happened so Christ comes he comes then they find themselves back in Bethany if you were here on Friday where it all started which was a day a week and a day from this point blessing comes they have worship they're in Jerusalem joy they're in the temple One time in John chapter 20, verse 19 through 21, 25, the disciples were in an upper room. The door was locked. It was the same day as the resurrection. He comes in. Then eight days later, he shows himself to Thomas, which was Monday, a week and a day, right? He shows himself to Thomas. So Thomas apparently didn't see him for eight days. And then he comes again by a sea, and he shows himself to Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two more. And I love how this book ends, okay, as we just... And as we finish this this out, you know how John ends this book? He ends this book with two people, Peter and himself. And what does he do? What does he show at the end of this book? Well, we first see the picture of Peter, right? Peter. And here's what Jesus says to Peter. After all this has taken place, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Think about it. Do you love me? That's the question that Jesus asks Peter after the resurrection. And he says, Lord, you know I love you. He says, here's how you will express your love to me. Feed my sheep. Feed them with the word. Teach the word. How do you express your love for Christ in light of the resurrection? Tell people about Christ. If you're not doing that, then it's not matching up with his definition of love for him. But he says this, feed my sheep. Then he says, shepherd my sheep. And then he says, feed my sheep. And the ordering of that is that the feeding interprets the shepherding. Feed, shepherd, feed. shepherd, uh, Feeding, interpreting the, sh- the shepherding. That's how you shepherd. That's how a pastor shepherds his people, by feeding them, right? That's how you're gonna express his love. And then he says this to Peter. He says, Peter, because remember, Peter said, Lord, I'll never deny you, even if I gotta die. Remember that? And he, Jesus says this, referring to that, he says, you weren't ready then, Peter. I know you said you'd follow me to death. You weren't ready then. It took his failure for him to be fully ready. He says, but you're ready now. You will follow me now. You will fulfill what you said. And he said this to say what kind of death Peter would die. And it said, not specifically how the death would work, but it said that his death would glorify Christ. It will glorify Christ. Peter's going to be all in now, even to death, and his death will glorify Christ. And then we get to John at the end of this, and Peter looks back, and he says about John, he says, Jesus, after, you know, this intimate thing with Jesus and Peter, and you're thinking, man, Peter, he's never, ever, ever going to do anything foolish ever again, right? And at this point, he looks back at John and he says to Jesus, well, What about him? I'm going to die. What about this guy? Right? What, is he going to die too? I mean, it's not really fair. And do you know what Jesus says to Peter? He says, If he remains until I return, what's that to you? What's, that, what's the difference? You follow me. Right? He's not saying that John wouldn't die, he's saying, You focus on you. Right? And here's how this this story ends. And I love this because at the end of this, you know what John says? Look at this in verse 25. He says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You know what this means? It means... All of this that we see in the cross and the resurrection and all of his details and and the fact that this should be the very foundation of your life and your faith, you're not even seeing the full picture. There are so many details. This is what Job says. He says, behold, these are just the outskirts of his ways. These are just the fringes. You're only seeing the fringes. How small a whisper do we hear of him? You're only hearing a small whisper of who he is by seeing this testimony of Christ. This is far more magnificent than what you're reading right now. One day, the Bible says, right now we look as in a mirror dimly, right? But then fully. You're gonna see it. So as we head towards the end, for the next seven minutes, I want to ask this question. What does this mean for us? The cross, the resurrection, especially the resurrection. This is our Christ. This is our cross. This is our salvation. This is our forgiveness. This is our hope. This is eternal life. Christ resurrected from the dead. What did it accomplish? We could talk all day. And even the points I'm going to tell you now. I'm going to show you four points. We could talk so much more about them. But if I can give you a base level knowledge and understanding of the implications of the resurrection, it's a good place to start. Let me give you four points as we close this. What does the resurrection accomplish? Number one, you're gonna see four points. The vindication of Christ. Number two, the resurrection of the saints. Number three, the justification of sinners. And number four, the new life in Christ. Let me tell you these briefly. First, the resurrection vindicates Christ. The Bible tells us not to pursue our own vindication. If you think you're wronged, what are you supposed to do? First Peter is the best book. You go to first Peter and you look in uh, the whole book, chapter two, but especially the whole book. I mean, the whole book of first Peter is about Christians continuing to do good in the face of suffering and persecution and being ill treated. As an example, Christ did the same thing. The Whole book. That's a great book. If you feel like I'm embittered, I'm... Full of pride. I want to vindicate myself. Spend your whole time in First Peter for the next month, in addition to your Bible reading plan. Hmm. All right. The Bible says, entrust yourself to God. Just keep handing yourself over to God. Right? That's you don't vindicate yourself. Christ, he was silenced with Pilate. He continued in the course of obedience. Why? He's going to be vindicated. He's going to be shown to be true. All the people that say, you're not the Christ. You're a liar. Let's kill him. Right? By the resurrection, he shows "I'm the son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one who dies for sins. Look at this. Romans 1, 1 through 14. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was declared from David according to the flesh, I'm sorry, descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. This is why they wanted to kill Lazarus too, by the way. There's something about being raised from the dead that you can't refute, right? So, the vindication of Christ. This is the validity of your faith. You want to believe that you're following the right way? Well, here's what validates your faith. Christ rose from the dead. What he said was true. Number two, the resurrection of the saints. Meaning, if you've trusted in Christ, you will be resurrected too. From the dead, literally, into heaven when you die. This is, what, this is, this is, this is the implication that the Bible gives. If Jesus was risen, if he, if he rose from the dead, you too will rise. How does this work? Okay, I wish I could read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can go read it later. It's 58 verses, so I decided to not read it now. But be careful. You'll know I'll do it. Right? 58 verses one service. We'll do it. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits. What, what fruits? First. So that means there's more fruits, if there's first fruits, of those who have fallen asleep. For as, a man, as, as by a man came death, by a man also came death the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. If you remember the three feasts, the Passover, the unleavened bread, and the firstfruits, the Passover, remembering the Exodus, that death jumped over, Christ, the fulfillment, last Passover, that's ultimately done away with, and he inaugurates a new uh, celebration, which is communion right no longer remembering the passover for salvation we remember the new covenant which is communion the blood of christ the body of christ that's what brings ultimate salvation okay so that's the first feast the second feast the feast of unleavened bread the ex in the exodus the people of israel would take bread that was unleavened Leaven was also uh, considered in the scripture as a representative of sin. It works its way through the whole batch, it says, right? And so they were to leave with unleavened bread. So after the feast of the Passover, you have the feast of the unleavened bread. To remember that. And it's seven full days. The imagery is a a full uh, pardon from sin. Jesus's blood gives a full pardon from sin. And the third... Feast that they would celebrate is the Feast of first fruits, okay? Which is also known as, anyone know? Nobody? Pentecost, okay? So, the Holy Spirit comes and represents Christ being the first fruit from the dead. And the same Holy Spirit who comes inside you when you believe in Jesus, every believer who trusts in Jesus, has the Holy Spirit inside that same Spirit that lives inside you, will resurrect you when you die, right? And so also it speaks of spiritual fruit. When Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he makes you alive spiritually now here also and produces spiritual fruit. And ultimately one day will raise you literally to be with Christ. So listen, the world says it's impossible for a man to die and not stay dead. What the Bible in the New Testament actually says is it would be impossible for him to stay dead because he has the Holy Spirit and he's sinless. No death as a consequence, no sin and the Holy Spirit of God who raises him. Here's the promise. The same Holy Spirit that raised Christ. Listen now, if he lives in you, will raise you from the dead when you die. Isn't that amazing? Is that amazing? I mean, you got two options. Either you die, stay in the grave and go to eternal death, or you die and you resurrect and you go to heaven by the power of the same spirit that raises Christ from the dead. This is amazing. This is amazing. He triumphed over death and he triumphs over your death too by his spirit, right? So this is the center of our faith. And by the way, let me tell you, this is why we worship on Sunday. This is why we have our now, the new Sabbath is on Sunday because this is the center of our faith. It was on Saturday. Now when Christ has risen, it's, moving, it's moved to Sunday, which is the Lord's day because the resurrection is the central element of our faith that he died and rose again. And It's what to be remembered on that day. Not only did he accomplish salvation, but it's a day of rest, pointing us to the fact that we will have eternal what? Rest when you die by the same power of the Spirit who raised Christ. Thirdly, let me just mention these last two. He justifies sinners. The justification of sinners is the result of the resurrection. What does that mean? It means this. I wish I could show you these. Let me just show you Romans 4, 22 through 25. It says this at the end. Look at this. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our what? Say it. Justification. Justification. Here's here's what this means. How do you know that that God's wrath was satisfied when Jesus died? How do you know that God was satisfied, that it was sufficient? Right? Jesus raising from the dead declares his death was sufficient he doesn't need to stay there and then more sacrifices also need to come from your sin and add to it it was sufficient he rose from the dead it's over justified you can be right before God and have confidence in that lastly number four we, we see that the implications are a new life in Christ the Holy Spirit doesn't also just raise you from the dead at the end but he raises you now the same Holy Spirit now produces spiritual life in you currently Currently, okay, so he he comes in you, brings conviction of sin, knowledge of God, anticipation of judgment, knowledge and understanding of the truth, obedience to his word, right? All comes from his spirit. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation, creature. The old is gone, the new has come. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. So as we close, let me just show you this. This is what we learned in the past two days. The cross of Christ, we saw his preparation. We saw his obedience. We saw his sacrifice and we saw his sufficiency. In the resurrection, we saw his literal death and his literal resurrection. And we understood that it vindicated Christ. It promises the resurrection of the saints. It justifies sinners and it gives us new life in Christ. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come. And I pray, God, by your grace, that you would help us to live our lives, our whole lives in light of your cross and your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.